Sign up to The Economist for in-depth curated expert analysis of world events and topics ranging from business and culture to science and technology. You'll get the weekly digital edition, online-only articles, curated newsletters on politics, the markets, science, culture and China and full access to The Economist Podcast Plus. The Economist is independent journalism for independent thinking. Go to economist.com and get your first month free. It's the left versus the right in the right corner. It's heavyweight king Curtis Lewa in the left corner. It's Anthony Weiner. It's a 77 WABC debate. Heavyweight slugfest on New York's news and talk station, 77 WABC. Good afternoon and welcome to Left versus Right. I'm Anthony Weiner from the left and Curtis Lewa will be coming in in about an hour from the right. So great to have you along. Really big week for me. A couple of guests this week. They're letting me take off the training wheels a little bit. As you saw in the music coming in, they also, Kevin texted me the other week, says, listen, do you want to choose some music for your show? And I feel like, okay, maybe they're going to have me around a little while. I'm not so sure uh, really great week. Great week to be here. Really exciting show. We hope uh, you'll you'll stick around. A little bit gray outside. Good day to be listening to the radio while you're washing your car or dusting off the standings for the Major, Major League Baseball. The undefeated New York Mets, the undefeated New York Yankees. What could possibly be better? Uh, it is really great to have you along. Despite that lead-in, I'm probably the only person in radio that has to rebut the promotional bumper describing me because, you know, I've complained about this before. If you listen carefully to that intro, Curtis Lee was the heavyweight champion, and I'm just Anthony Weiner. I'm not. I'm nothing. And I think it's because, as I've explained before, maybe one version of me was the guy that like liked to punch and fight. Now I kind of see my role here at WABC Talk Radio 77 as to be a little bit different. Someone who sits only gets to be on the radio once a week, and that's a good thing. And I can listen to the hot takes all during the week, listening to the takes of my fellow hosts here at ABC. And I can try to bring a little bit of left-leaning or moderate or progressive context to the conversations. Um, I kind of see myself as being like uh, the hysteria police a little bit or the, I don't know, asbestos for extremism. Or as the hipsters like to say, maybe I'm the Uber but for context. And that's what I like to do. I like to have those types of conversations where we get in a little bit deeper. You've heard the last couple of weeks that I've uh, had a little bit of a deeper dive into the causes of inflation. Last week, went into the rabbit hole of Hunter Biden and um, had a good conversation. Many callers called in and participated in that. And as I've said in the past, that I, I don't see the radio audience is the same as some people do. I don't believe we're a 50-50 country with two sides yelling at each other. I believe that while we do have 10 percent at either extreme – we have about 50% of the country that is partisan, but has a sense of, you know, look, I want, I'm open to new ideas, I'm open to information, and I'm willing to depart from, from the conventional wisdom of my side if I get a better or other information. And then the 30% is people who I think have checked out because they have just lost faith that the institutions of the day, whether it be media, political institutions, financial institutions, that they're not on the level, that the debate is not an honest debate. And hopefully some of those people will start to check in as well. And that's what I liked this conversation to be about. Um, for those of you who want to participate, you want to take the role of Curtis for the first hour, or want to just get in the queue to have a conversation with, with me and some of our, our guests I'm going to describe in a moment, 800-848-WABC, 800 I'll get right to the thing that I've gotten the most text and emails about. Last week, I described um, I described that Jordan, at the exact time, my son Jordan, 10-year-old, at the exact time that I was on the air, was trying out for his travel hockey team, the first tryout he's ever had. He's only played since September. Many of you know that I have um, played for a long time. He made the team. So if you, can, uh, if you were only listening for that, uh, that was a big news in, in the Wiener household. 
Let me tell you a little bit about our guests, though, um, that are going to be on on today. Uh, uh, I have to learn to interview. I'm, you know, uh, I'm good at talking, but John Katzmatidis and uh, and and Chad Lopez and the gang here at WABC. So we got to learn to have conversations with people. And I said, you're doing a great job with the callers, but now we want to see how you do talking to to some guests that come on. And we have some really great ones. Uh, first up today uh, in a little bit is going to be uh, Jason Chaffetz, former member of Congress, best-selling author. He's out now with a truly good book, uh, They Never Let a Crisis Go to Waste, The Truth About Disaster Liberalism. Some of you um, know Jason from his uh, his time on, on Fox. Some of you know him from being in the United States Congress. And a few of you who are historians, whose memory goes back as far as 2016, remember that we were linked historically in the election of Donald Trump. And uh, I don't know if we'll have a chance to talk. Well, we'll, we'll, we'll see. We'll have a, we'll, he'll, be, he'll be coming on. And a little bit later, uh, someone who you probably know, if you've been around New York politics for a while, John Faso, former member of the Assembly. He is the lawyer representing the GOP in this redistricting fight here in New York State, which is an interesting one. And it's one that I think we're going to enjoy taking a little bit of a dive into. Um, so that's going to be coming up to, uh, today. I'm looking forward to those uh, to, to those guests coming on, having some conversations that, again, go a little bit beneath the surface of the name calling and try to get a little better understanding. And hopefully you'll be able to participate in that conversation as well. I mentioned that Jordan made the hockey team. That was big news today. Also, this week, many of you called in last week during the Hunter Biden conversation and said, you know, if you're serious about really getting deep into the Hunter Biden issue – there's no excuse not to get uh, Miranda Devine's book, Laptop from Hell. So I did. I read that this week. Had a little bit of a funny experience with that. I was taking Jordan uptown to visit his orthodontist. Um, and I'm reading the book. I'd come right from Barnes & Noble. And I'm reading the book. And, and for those of you who are New Yorkers, but you don't have to be a New Yorker to visualize, in a crowded train, if you're standing and reading something, that means the person sitting where you're standing is basically has it in their face. <laughs> and so I'm reading Laptop from Hell, the Miranda Devine's book. Again, I encourage you all, all to get it. I, some of it is good. Some of it, I mean, I think I debunked most of it in, in the last show. Um, but I'm, I'm reading it, and the cover of it is this not very flattering, slightly menacing picture of Hunter Biden with a cigarette in his mouth. Um, probably, I think the, the, the photograph is probably from his laptop during his, his rather harrowing time. Um, in in addiction, and it has laptop from Helen. So I'm reading this, and this this older African American woman makes eye contact with me over the top of the book, and she says to me, "Honey, you look terrible in that picture." And I didn't quite understand until that moment that laptop from hell. She thought it was a biography of me. So of course, then I took the cover of uh, the jacket off of the of the book. Um, but I read that book this week. I encourage you all to do the same. Um, and if you're interested in revisiting the last week's episode where I did a little deeper dive into the Hunter Biden and we had a conversation about it and I did what I could to stipulate to the things that I agreed with and debunk the things that I thought were unsubstantiated, um, you can always get the podcast version of this and every other show on, on the Red Apple Podcast Network. Um, you can subscribe. I guess the best way to search for the show is just to put in the left versus the right. Because if you put in just Anthony Weiner in your search box, you're going to be digging through, unfortunately, hundreds of podcasts from other people. But uh, we encourage you to do that. And by the way, that's true of all of our programming here at WABC, that if you can't tune in at 2 o'clock on a Saturday afternoon because you've got something else going on, you can always subscribe to the podcast. Um, and I encourage you you to do that. But let's go ahead and get right to our uh, our first guest, um, Jason Chaffetz. Speaking of podcasts, Jason Chaffetz has an excellent podcast of, of his own. I think it's called Jason in the House. I'm not 100% sure. He's also a contributor to Fox. Before that, from 2009 to 2017, he was a member of the United States House of Representatives and quickly climbed the, uh, climbed the House to become the chair of the Government Oversight Committee, where he really became a known quantity. Uh, he and I became friends and close um, early on in his career. Uh, if you Again, I, d- I generally don't encourage people to Google my name in any form, but if you want to do something interesting, Google Jason Chaffetz, Anthony Weiner, and GOAT. Uh, he and I got to know each other when we, were, we found some things that we both agreed should be cut out of the federal budget, and uh, we worked on, uh, on trying to do that. Um, he is a very interesting person, someone I'm pleased to call my friend. Uh, welcome, Jason Chaffetz from the great state of Utah. 
How are you, Jason? Hey, thank, thanks for having me on. I, I appreciate it. It's always good to chat with you. And we did. We had a good time. We were both on the House Judiciary Committee. And I think you and I both wanted to, to find some common ground. Come on, there's something we got to agree on. And there's some things in the federal budget, like those that goat hair that just did not need $10 million a year in subsidy since World War II. That was ridiculous. So yeah, was, I, I, was think, I think it's going to be hard for listeners to get to even figure out how members of Congress were dealing with GOAT, but not to wear people out with it, but we, we, the taxpayers, Democrats and Republicans alike, citizens of Utah and citizens of Brooklyn and Queens alike, were paying subsidies to mohair growers because back in the day, do I just have this? You tell me if I have this right, Jason. Back in the day, military used to make their uniforms out of wool and were concerned that they'd run out, so they subsidized the mohair industry, and we haven't made them out of wool since the 1940s or something like that. Is that basically the shorthand of that issue? That's right. And so we bring it up and say, hey, we got a Democrat, we got a Republican, we, we want to offer this striking amendment to take it out of the budget. But sure enough, a Republican, I, I'm shameful to say, uh, out of Texas, Mike Conway, who had, went on to become the, the chairman of the House Agriculture Committee, uh, he he stood up and said, "Oh no 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 no, we need to keep there. People really rely on this. It's just it's that kind of garbage I, that people just they get so frustrated and and so it actually didn't pass. And right. I can't believe if we can't get rid of ten million dollars for mohair subsidies, what are we going to get rid well, of? Well, that's and right. But conservative, it drove me nuts. Well, you're 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 being you're being a little bit generous here because if the Democrats on the Agriculture Committee. I mean, what it basically comes down to is frequently, and this is something you go into in your book, Never Let a Crisis Go to Waste, The Truth About Disaster Liberalism. What is true about the way Congress works is that the only thing that kind of trumps partisanship is common interest. And when it comes to agriculture subsidies, they all on the Agriculture Committee, I I fleetingly had a fantasy about going on the Agriculture Committee just to disrupt this, but they all have their own little programs and they protect each other's back. Now, that leads me to, to, to your book, and I, I want to talk to you about this. You know, you, you base, Why don't you describe what is your thesis in this latest book that you have out? This is your third book you've had out. You've had New York Times bestselling books called Deep State and also The Power Grab. What is your thesis in They Never Let a Crisis Go to Waste? Well, you know, it came after the heels of well, – I got to Congress. I met Rahm Emanuel, and he had said this to the editorial board, I think it was, to the Wall Street Journal. And, and it's just – I give him a lot of credit for actually highlighting this, that, yeah, you, you, you have a crisis. That's how you get a lot of things done. Things that would never pass otherwise suddenly become an opportunity to slam through things that individually would never get in, uh, get a vote. And so we just chronicle a whole history of how they do this and where they do this. And, you know, since the 1974 Budget Act, it's only one time, one time since 1974 has the appropriations process gone through what's called regular order, where every member can stand up and offer an amendment to strike something, to add something. And, you know, it gets kind of I think it was Harry Reid who famously said, you know, you'll never lose an election over process. And I think that's a shame because I think if the American people understood on both sides of the aisle, because it goes both ways, it's not just a right thing or a left thing. But if you do that, if you look at it, the, pro- the process is broken. And so you have these continuing resolutions. You have this omnibus. You have all these things that suddenly, if you don't know leadership and you can't push you know, a Nancy Pelosi or a John Boehner at the time and get your stuff in that bill, guess what? It ain't going to happen. And that's why we're $30 trillion in debt. But is it, let me, but is that an example of corruption or hypocrisy or is that just politics? I mean, let's take the example of crime today. Isn't Mm -hmm. the GOP doing a similar thing? Crime is up. They're using it as an argument to to increase police spending. There's a war. That's a reason to increase defense spending. Isn't this just politics. I mean, is that, isn't that just the way it's supposed to be, that you use the opportunities that moments create to make an argument for your pet project? Well, and the heart of the book is using examples and saying, okay, here's a crisis. Um, you know, we got Ukraine or we have COVID. But why is it when we have Ukraine or COVID or something that as a nation, we all agree we need to rally around and 
we've got to appropriate money. First of all, we don't do contingency buddy, uh, 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 funding and planning to set aside for that rainy day, which we inevitably know will happen year after year. I mean, are we going to have another hurricane? Yeah, we're going to have another hurricane. But they, the hurricane is a really good example. Sandy hits and goes into, uh, you know, takes out a huge swatch of, of New York. We have to have funding. I voted in favor of that bill. Unfortunately, that was Homeland Security decided, hey, we're going to go buy a whole bunch of vehicles. Not for New York, not for New Jersey, nobody that was hit by Sandy. And you just go after the list and you see the billions of dollars that was in that Sandy appropriation, the Sandy relief appropriation, had absolutely nothing to do with Sandy. And you can say, hey, that's just good politics, but it's not. It's disingenuous to throw up one vote and say yes or no. And if people would fund the things we need for schools, for other things, but they throw all this other garbage in it. That's what I think is just wrong. Well, we're talking to uh, Jason Chaffetz, former member of Congress, now uh, author of Never Let a Crisis Go to Waste. Uh, we have to go to, a, to a, 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 break, a break shortly. Hopefully, Jason, you can stick around. But let me ask you, sure. one of the examples that you made is one that's very near and dear to the heart of New York residents, and that's the state and local tax exemption. Um, right. And tell me how that fits into your, into your argument and in your book. You, 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 you devote some time to it, and it's very interesting. Well, I disagree with your, your thesis. Tell me what your thought is. Well, the state and state and local taxes, why should the good people of Utah have to supplement what is going on in a high-tax state like New York? We happen to have a lot lower taxes, a lot less expense. We shouldn't have to do that. So because you have exorbitant taxes, you shouldn't get a credit to take that off of your federal taxes. That 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 doesn't make any sense. So the cap of $10,000, personally, I think it should be down near zero. But this cap, I, I, I just fundamentally disagree with. Well, listen, we're going to head to to a break. But before we do, I'm going to read you a statistic from from Jason's book here. It's about the salt and salt. Uh, the salt is the state and local tax deduction. Many people in this listening audience wind up taking that deduction. Eighty six percent of the benefit of salt deductions go to the richest five percent of taxpayers. Uh, the only problem is and we're going to talk about this on the other side. That's true of many, many, many deductions that are in the tax code. And I'm going to ask Jason on the other side whether he thinks we should get rid of those as well. Stick with us. We have Jason Chaffetz and we have John Fassel later. And of course, Curtis Lee will coming up at the top of the hour. Stick with us. It's the left versus the right in the right corner. It's heavyweight king Curtis Lewa in the left corner. It's Anthony Weiner. It's a 77 WABC debate. Heavyweight slugfest on New York's news and talk station 77 WABC. Well, welcome back to Left vs. Right. I'm Anthony Weiner, hardly a heavyweight if you've seen me. I'm barely a welterweight. We're, we have a Jason Chaffetz on the phone, best-selling author, former member of Congress, former uh, member uh, chairman of the House Oversight Committee. Uh, coming up soon, uh, John Fassel will be talking to us about redistricting. And at the top of the hour, Curtis Lee will be um, uh, stepping in. He has been very kind to let me do this hour on my own to try to Learn the radio, learn doing interviews, learn the breaks. And uh, I really want to thank him for that as well. And he's going to be coming in. Uh, uh, Curtis is going to be doing his own version of the first 100-day report card for Mayor Adams. Um, and he's also apparently going to nominate me to be the CEO of Donald Trump's new social media app with all of my Obvious skill around social media. But Jason Chaffetz is with us. I appreciate you you sticking by. I, I don't want to get too deep into this idea, but I do want to point out, you know, we here in New York, as you make the salt, uh, this, the uh, state and local tax deduction, one of your targets for your thesis in your book, that, you know, New York does pay a disproportionate amount of the now. We, get, we pay more out in taxes than we get back in services. And if you believe that we should get rid of the SALT deduction because it is regressive, that it goes to the richest 5% of taxpayers, that's true of lots of deductions. Maybe we should get rid of the the, the reduced tax that we have uh, for capital gains, for example. If that's the rationale for doing it, 
then perhaps there are other deductions we should take away from those who are the very wealthiest in America. Hey, if you want to join arm in arm with me and get after a flat tax, I would still keep a mortgage deduction. I would still keep um, a charitable deduction. But I think a flat tax is the most fair thing you can do. I was one of a few Republicans on the House floor who actually voted to get rid of uh, a lot of these petroleum and energy uh, subsidies. I, I don't I, I don't think at this point the, the oil and gas uh, companies needed, you know, subsidies. They were doing quite well back when we had that vote. So um, I, I, they drive me nuts. They pick winners and losers. Um, I happen to think that the capital gains tax actually provides the right kind of incentives for investment and growth in the country. But if you want to get it simple and you want to get it fair, just do a flat tax. You know, have a certain rate, a lower rate, up to maybe $50,000 in income. Have another rate that, that graduates up to maybe 200000 and then just have a flat tax. If you're a billionaire, then you pay that tax when you have your actual income. And if you make $100,000, you pay the same rate. Have everybody pay the same rate. I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't think that there's really – that the tax system, you can have 100 or 200 rates. Everyone, People just look on the chart for what they pay at their amount. I have no problem – with with um, Jeff Bezos playing, paying a higher rate than a guy who drives a bus or Jeff Bezos paying a higher rate than you or I do. I don't think that rates – you know, look, let's face it. It doesn't matter if you have 50 rates or five rates. You only care about the rate you're paying, and that's just about putting your dollar amount in and you pay that amount. But I think I, – I would agree with you on the one thing. I would agree that if you had a room full of average Americans who are Democrats, half Democrat, half Republican – Probably in an hour, they can emerge with a consensus right, right. on how to make the tax code fair. No doubt about it. Exactly. Let me exactly. let me ask you a, a, a I want to do a couple of like lightning round questions with you from from your podcast, Jason, in the house that that, that you've been touching on. But before I do that, what's going on with Utah? Uh, it's a state that produces you, someone who always got along well with Democrats. You're a very conservative guy, and you can you can be as partisan as the next guy, but. You've got Mitt Romney, who has earned the ire of his party. You have a governor there who, when he ran for governor, did an ad with his Democratic opponent um, and has been criticized in some corners of this radio station for using various um, pronouns that, that, that some people find too woke or whatever the complaint is about it. Tell us a little bit about what the Utah way is. I've heard this written about and, and spoken about. It seems that you guys, in, in addition to those things— also, don't seem you don't seem to be as pro-Trump a state just based on the numbers as some other conservative states. So, how do you explain it? Um, Trump did quite well here. I mean, if you look at the vote, um, we have not um, uh, voted. Th- let me go back. It was a very Democratic state, um, almost exclusively Democrats, until the abortion issue came up. And this is a state that is very much pro-life. That has a lot to do with the religious um, convictions of a lot of people, but our state is changing. We get a lot of Californians, a lot of growth. We have one of, I think, the lowest unemployment, and we have some of the fastest growth that's going on. Um, They like their independence out west here. Um, They got a libertarian streak with a lot of people. And people truly do vote, I think, based on the individuals. So um, I think there is a general um, frustration, particularly from the Republicans, which dominate this state, on Mitt Romney and Governor Cox. These are not things that they campaigned on, and suddenly they are taking a very hard left turn, and that's frustrating a, a lot of people. Um, but, you know, it's it's like every other state. You, you have some people that end up doing exactly what they said they're going to do, and you have some people that, wow, I, that's not what you said you were going to do. And and the voters get to, to make decisions. Both of them happen to be up for re-election in 2024. If you primary Mitt Romney, would you beat him? I, I have to, I'm not going to project like that. I have said I am a definite maybe and perhaps running. But right now, honestly, 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 I love my relationship with Fox News. I left Congress in the middle of my term because I was tired of the flight and I, I love my wife and I miss my kids. I was jealous of guys like you who could go back to New York and then run back down to D.C. real quick. Me, I got, you know, four and a half hours on an airplane ride to get back home. So um, I think I do quite well, but I'm not going to, you know, put a guess to that. If you if you were to run, when would you have to decide? Um, 
you know, you got to pretty much decide in the fall of 23. That's about mm-hmm. right. So you, you have some time. You let me know if I if you need me to endorse your opponent. That should basically put you over the top. All right, let me, you know let what, me, though? Yep. You know what? I, I want to say this really quickly. I, I touted the fact that I could work with Democrats and find common ground and get things done. I worked on criminal justice reform. I worked with you on, on getting rid of waste, fraud, and abuse. And, the, you know, I, there are things that I think play really well here. And I never shied away with the idea that, hey, I'm just a purist. No, I, I don't think that gets it done. If you want to get something done, I take the Ronald Reagan adage that say, we can get 80% of what you're trying to get to, do it. Put your hand out and work with a, you know, somebody across the aisle. I don't think that's a bad thing. Yeah, well, we're talking with Jason Chaffetz, former member of Congress, author of the book, Never Let a Crisis Go. They Never Let a Crisis Go to Waste, by the way. That pronoun refers to me, the Democratic Party and progressives. Uh, Jason Chaffetz, it's, it's on the shelves now. You can get it on Amazon. He's... Uh, also got a podcast, Jason, in the house that, that I would recommend you go listen to. Let me let me I mean, I, you know, your last comment made me think, though, even in the brief time that you left Congress and certainly since I left Congress, departing from the orthodoxy five percent is heresy right now. I probably and it's definitely in your party, probably in my party as well. And I remember when you were the chairman of the House Oversight Committee and I had many beefs with what you were doing. I wasn't there any longer at the time. Um, but there were very often times that even members of your own party and even the White House were saying, hey, you should be investigating this, you should be investigating that. And you stood up to them and said, I'm going to investigate the things I think that I should be. And then and you, you reflected the views of your committee. Nowadays, I think it would be harder. If, I think if you were to tomorrow retake the gavel of the House Oversight Committee, I think you would find it tough to function because there's almost 100 percent necessity for fealty to a conventional Republican line, isn't there? I I think it would be tough. I think the frustration, particularly, it was highlighted with Donald Trump and beyond. It, it continues today. I think Republicans look at traditional mainstream, if you will, whatever you want to call it, the traditional and even social media, and they don't think that they get a fair shake. That the that those outlets are in the bag for with the Democrats, and they shut people down like the New York Post. And, and others that have stories that are legitimate stories, and Twitter shuts them down. And so they feel like they're constantly on the defensive that side, and that you, they can't trust anybody because they just don't get the same type of coverage and aggressive media that, that, that comes towards Republicans and conservatives. What is the number one cable news outlet by viewership in America today? Oh, it's not even close. It's Fox News. Right. So how can you possibly make the argument that you don't get your view out or you you get shut down in any way? How does that even make sense? I think the view gets out. I think this is why. I think the rest of America hasn't figured out why is Fox News so dominant. But if you look at ABC, CBS, NBC, you keep going down the list, Twitter, Facebook, the suppression that happens online and the lack of coverage by The New York Times and The Washington Post – Come on. I know you talked about Hunter Biden last week, but they're a year and a half late to this game. And to shut it down and say it was Russian disinformation, they didn't have anything that actually said that. Uh, And and they should have challenged those 51 intelligence officers and gone after those former intel people and gone after them. Well, hold on a second. First of all, I mean, yeah, that's far bigger than Fox. Well, let me let me just clarify. You know that when The New York Post ran their story. That the New York Times, the Washington Post, the Wall Street Journal, all the major newspapers did do stories about it. There was absolutely no comparison to what was going on. They did not dive into it. And there have been stories after this, story after story after story that would be on the cover of Time magazine, that would be on the cover front page of the New York Times. And they did not cover did, it. Oh, did, yeah. did, Maybe we put something on page 29. I know, no. They, they did stories about the Post coverage because, as you know, the Times and the Washington Post were not given access to the laptop. You're aware of that, right? They were told no when they asked for it. I'm just telling you, the disparity between the stories and what was going on on MSNBC, CNN, all those other outlets I'm talking about, they did not run. Of that course, story. they didn't. They didn't run that story because they didn't have the laptop because this clerk that emerged a month before the election when the Russians had 
had attacked our country just four years before using this disinformation, you know, would, if you were an editor of a newspaper and someone came to you and said, listen, I'm a partisan for Hillary Clinton. I have this laptop that was left in a store. It's a month before the election. I'm not going to show it to you, but go read this liberal newspaper that wrote about it. Would you put it on the front page? Well, they didn't dig on it, D'Anthony. There's no way over the last year and a half you're going to tell. I had personal stories about what was going on with Hillary Clinton that I could tell you where the New York Times had information from the chairman of the Oversight Committee. They actually gave them documents, and I had that reporter come back and tell me, uh, they're not going to run it because you know what? This is not good for Hillary Clinton. And uh, my editor will not let that, it. Out look, that that type of that's that's an, an interesting story. But like in this case, I mean, look, I looked at this pretty hard, and I went back and looked at all the stories that were written during that that period of time. Within three days, the Washington Post wrote a story. Within two days, the New York Times wrote a story, and they all said the same thing: that this is what is being reported in the New York Post. We don't have access to these documents. And by the way, the Trump intelligence community was warning about exact this type of disinformation. And then the one kind of eyewitness to it all, this guy, Bobolinsky, uh, he takes his, huh? his material, goes to two places, two conservative places. He goes to Fox News and he goes to, to the Wall Street Journal. Both of them write stories saying we've looked at the text messages and they don't connect. They don't connect. All takers. That's not true. That's not true. He went to Tucker Carlson. And when NBC called up and said, can we see your your text messages? Have you ever seen them? I've seen a lot of stuff. I have not seen everything that's in those documents. But Bobolinsky, nobody has. did a press conference with anybody who had. But he didn't. To show re- up. He didn't show his what he had. All he said is, "I've got this stuff." Hey, listen, this has been a, been a good conversation. You know, one thing we have to do, you and me, at some point, and maybe we should do it on on your show, or maybe we should you, you should come back. We have to tell the backstory of the ultimate thing that the history books are going to connect us with, not you being at, at whom in my uh, wedding reception, not me getting bitten by a, by a goat, not, not you and me trying to, 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 to take the funding from the Institute of Peace, but how my laptop turned into a press release that you put out that fundamentally changed the way the 2016 election go. You and I really were – I mean I was in rehab at the time, but you, you and I really are going to be kind of footnotes – to the 2016 election, um, and we might have changed the course of history. How does that make you feel? Yeah, we should probably talk about that. <laughs> How about that for, for for leaving it at the end? Listen, I really want to thank – I've been talking to Jason Chaffetz. I really do encourage you to go out and get, get the book. I, I am in the process of writing a rebuttal book at this time. Hopefully I do half as well as Jason has done. Um, Jason, I really do appreciate it. Congressman Jason Chaffetz, author of Never Let a Crisis Go to Waste, The Truth About Disaster Liberalism. I really appreciate you sharing your views with us today. I hope we get a chance to do it again soon. Absolutely. Thanks, Anthony. Take appreciate care, buddy. It. Thanks. It's the left versus the right in the right corner. It's heavyweight king Curtis Lewa in the left corner. It's Anthony Weiner. It's a 77 WABC debate. Heavyweight slugfest on New York's news and talk station 77 WABC. Well, thank you so much for joining us. My name is Anthony Weiner. Curtis Lee was coming up at the top of the hour. He is loaded for bear because first 100 days of Eric Adams, there have been all the report cards out there, and uh, Curtis is going to offer his report card on Eric Adams. And also he has an idea that I should be the new CEO of Donald Trump's social media company that is struggling a bit. If you'd like to get in on the conversation at 77 WABC Talk Radio, 800-848-WABC, 800 848 9222. Thank you so much for joining us today. Now on the line, we we have a really interesting issue that is going on here in New York City and in New York State. The congressional redistricting goes on every 10 years, and probably no one in the entire state knows it better than our next guest. Um, Joining us is John Faso. You, if you have been paying attention to New York politics or New York governance over the last, heck, it's almost 20 years now, although he looks very youthful. Uh, John Faso served as a member of Congress for one term, but he was perhaps best known when he was the minority leader of the New York State Assembly. And he ran for controller in 2002, ran for governor in, in 2006, 
has been basically one of those civic leaders of our state for um, for a couple of decades now. And it's my pleasure to have him join us because he is the person that is quarterbacking the Republican legal fight to throw out the the district lines that have been created. Well, I'll let him explain it. John, thank you very much for joining us. Thank you, Anthony. Great to be with you and your listeners here on a rainy Saturday afternoon in upstate New York. I'm not sure if it's uh, raining in New York City, but it's still, it's still feeling a little uh, wintry up here. Well, it's uh, from, from my understanding of, of weather up there, it's going to be wintry till mid-July. But I appreciate your checking in. This is, <laughs> this is good, good radio weather, as my friend Curtis tells me. So basically exactly. set the table for us. Every 10 years we do the census. It's in the Constitution. One of the reasons they do it is they have to make sure we all have one person, one vote. And so they draw districts based on that census. A, dist- a census was done. New York had its lines drawn. What's the problem and, and, and what is the, 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 the solution, do you think? So, uh, and, and one other little factoid is that uh, because our population is not kept up with the population changes in the country, New York is going to lose an additional congressional seat uh, after 2022's election. So we will go from 27 House seats in in the House of Representatives to 26. So obviously, with that game of musical chairs, uh, the lines had to change anyway, and uh, to adjust for population shifts in the state and also the country. So to set the table, back in 2014, uh, the late great Mayor Ed Koch had led an effort to try to make the redistricting process, how the state legislature draws those lines in New York State, which is very political, obviously, but to make it less political, less partisan, and to lessen the opportunity of those in power to rig the lines through a gerrymandering type system where they design the lines to benefit one party over the other, Ed Koch led an effort. And the people responded, the legislature adopted a constitutional amendment that was voted on and approved by about 57 percent of the people back in 2014. And that constitutional amendment did two things. One, it set up a independent commission uh, to draw the lines and a process for the legislature then to to consider what that commission did. And the other thing it did is that it put an explicit provision in the Constitution that said the district lines cannot be drawn to reduce political competition and they cannot be drawn to favor one party or one candidate over another party or candidate. So this is a very strong anti-gerrymandering provision. Most states don't have it, but New York voters put it in the Constitution back in 2014, and it was the late great Ed Koch that was the leader of that effort to bring it forth. So the districts... Right, go ahead, I'm sorry. So just fast forward, the legislature uh, adopted districts on February 3rd, Uh, The independent commission sent one set of maps to the uh, uh, one set of proposals, two maps to the legislature in January. The legislature voted them down. It never then sent a second set of maps uh, to the legislature. The legislature took over the process and passed maps on February 3rd. And the petitioners, the plaintiffs from around the state, Republican plaintiffs, brought suit on February 4th, challenging uh, both the congressional districts and the state Senate districts. And this matter was brought in uh, an upstate court in Steuben County, where a Supreme Court justice rendered an opinion uh, about a week and a half ago. Uh, on March 31, he, he issued his opinion. And that is now going to the appellate process. And so first, it's going to go to a, an appellate court in Rochester, and that'll be April 20th. And at the end of the month, by the end of uh, end of April, this will be in front of the New York State Court of Appeals. Now, the judge in uh, Subben County who considered this, he struck down the congressional districts, and he also struck down the congressional Senate and the state assembly districts on procedural grounds, saying the legislature violated the process uh, to pass redistricting. And he explicitly found, beyond a reasonable doubt, that the state legislature's plan, which reduces most 
analysts say reduces Republican representatives in the Congress from eight seats to four, that that plan violated that provision that I just enunciated, saying you couldn't draw lines to benefit one party over another. And he found that they had explicitly done that beyond a reasonable doubt. So that's where it is, Anthony. It's it's going to be in front of this uh, appeals judge, the appeals panel in Rochester on April 20th. But let me just just I mean, and putting it in partisan terms, there's a lot of talk about the legislature there. This in partisan terms, Democrats who now control the, the Senate and the Assembly, who drew these districts for their congressional colleagues, drew these districts in a way that really, really heavily favor Democrats. That's the, the, the short version of this. And the court, to my understanding, has said, wait a minute, you've done so much of this partisan gerrymandering that you violated this constitutional provision that you spoke of. But just so I can be clear, it's a state constitutional provision. The Supreme Court of the United States, haven't they said that we don't have a right? There's not a right to have nonpartisan elections, right, to to nonpartisan districts, right? The legislature is within there. They're following what the Supreme Court said you're allowed to do. You're allowed to do partisan gerrymandering, right? Isn't that a a permitted act uh, by state legislatures both here and across the country? Yeah, you're, you are correct, Anthony. The Supreme Court a couple of years ago said this is not a matter that we, the, the federal judiciary, properly can handle. This is a matter they left open the door and they, in fact, invited state legislatures and state courts to weigh in on this question of partisan redistricting. So you're correct. It's not a federal case. It's strictly a state case based on state constitution. And I would point out that there have been a number of states this year, North Carolina, Ohio, Pennsylvania, and also Maryland. Just two weeks ago, a judge in Maryland threw out a redistricting that the Democrats in Maryland had passed over the veto of the Republican governor. And it forced the legislature to come back and and pass a less partisan plan, which is really what our hope is here. Well, first of all, we're talking to John Faso, former member of Congress, now the lawyer representing, if I, I think this is right, representing the Republicans in in the state legislature and the Republicans in Congress in their effort to reverse this uh, this uh, uh, the districting that has been done by the Democrats in the state legislature. Let me ask you, it, it, since this is now getting punted back to the state courts to be basically the final arbiter of this, the Supreme Court said we don't want to have any conversation about this anymore. Let the states work it out. Isn't this having the effect of further making the state courts seem like partisan entities? I mean, let's face it. I think you took this case in Steuben County because it was a more conservative jurisdiction. I think the Democrats are trying to get it before more liberal or Democratic judges. Aren't we now just kind of further infecting the judiciary with partisanship under the guise of redistricting? No, I, I, I wouldn't argue that. I think, unfortunately, a lot of sometimes when the press writes a story, they'll say, oh, well, the judge in Steuben County was a Republican and and therefore inferring that's why he made this decision. I think the, the judge in Steuben County actually was extremely fair. He found mostly for the plaintiffs. He didn't find entirely for the plaintiffs, though. We had alleged partisan gerrymandering in the in the drawing of state Senate districts. And the judge did not find for us. He said we did not find prove that beyond a reasonable doubt, which is a high standard. Um, and and now let's face it, most of the appellate courts in the state are are filled with judges who were appointed by Democratic uh, governors. But I I think we make a mistake when we automatically assume that judges, despite what their political political lineage might have been before they assume that role, they swear an oath to the Constitution. And this is the first time, Anthony, that that judge in Steuben County, that was the very first time any judge in this state had ever interpreted that 2014 constitutional amendment. It's brand new law. I'm, I'm, I believe the judge is going to look are going to look at this fairly. The appellate judge who who rendered a, a procedural decision yesterday on this case uh, happened to be a Democrat before he assumed the 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 role of an appellate division judge. So I'm not worried so much about that. I think the important thing is that the people should pick their politicians. The politicians shouldn't pick their voters. And that's what happens when you have an extreme partisan gerrymander like we have in New York State. And just to explain to people exactly how they did it, they basically took four seats, four seats in the House of Representatives, 
and they jammed him and stuffed him full of as many Republicans as they possibly could find. And that means the adjacent areas become more Democratic. And every place in the state, every single district where we had a competitive district, they made it more Democratic. Is this, so the uh, Democrat- is this similar to what the Republicans did in the state Senate in the 90s and 2000s? Absolutely. And before we had this role, this rule in the Constitution on partisan gerrymandering, it has long been known that the Assembly, which was controlled for many years by Democrats, and the Senate controlled by many years by by Republicans, that they would each pass, they would each draw lines that benefited their party in the Assembly and Senate, respectively. Then they'd put them in one bill and they'd pass it. And I... I, I was minority leader in the assemblies, as, as you reference, and I've, I've seen this done. But that's one reason why Ed Koch led this effort. And, you know, a lot of people are dissatisfied with what's going on in Albany. They don't like bail reform. They don't like the level of taxes. They don't like some of the policies that we see stopping the growth of charter schools to give more opportunity for disadvantaged kids in, in, in New York City and other places around the state. They don't like those things. And they say, well, why doesn't the legislature listen to us? Well, one of the reasons is that you've got these entrenched majorities now that are often, in my view, under the control of special interest groups that aren't really considering the broad public interest in our state. And you look at what they did with bail reform and some of these other things. Um, Candidly, I think most people are frustrated by it in our state. But one source of their frustration, even though most people may not realize it, is the way in which political districts get rigged in New York to reduce political competition. Well, well and, and John, that's what we're we are, trying to overturn. Well, I'm, 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 we're wrapping up with John Fassman. I'm going to let you get the last word. But let me just say, you know, for years yeah. in the House of Representatives, the, the House of Representatives, Democrat, Republican, proportional representation did not reflect the country because Republicans had done a great job of redistricting around the around the country. To, to maximize and, in fact, uh, increase their representation beyond what the population was. And it seems to me that citizens have two maybe conflicting imperatives. One is to have fair representation in fair districts in the state, but also to have a fair representation in Congress. So New York does dovetail with that. Like if we can if, – if, if by doing this redistricting, as partisan as it might be – it gets us to balance in the in this in the federal legislature. So we finally have Republicans represented by the same percentage that they are in the population. Democrats, likewise. Isn't that something worth doing? Well, you know, Anthony, my mother taught me when I was growing up, two wrongs don't make a right. And if we have specific rules now in New York state that the voters adopted that said they don't want this to happen and What some Democrats may do in Illinois or what some Republicans might do in Texas or another state doesn't affect the ability of New Yorkers to say how they want their their government to be run and how they want the political process to operate. So New Yorkers said we wanted to clean up the system. They adopted this constitutional amendment. Unfortunately, my Democratic friends in Albany adopted a partisan gerrymander that I think violated our Constitution, and I'm hopeful that the courts will will reflect that. Either the language in our Constitution means something or it doesn't. That's fair enough. John, listen, I appreciate you being with us. We've been joined by John Fasso. I'm so glad that you are still part of the conversation here in New York State. I disagree with you on stuff, but you've always been someone who practiced the craft of governance and politics with a lot of class and a lot of dignity, and I appreciate you joining us here on 77 Dewey BBC. Anthony, great to be with you, and I'm, I'm glad you've got this voice on WABC to, because your voice is important in this process as I well. I appreciate it. When we come back, we will be joined by uh, your friend and mine, Curtis Sliwa. We'll have a couple of final questions, and any callers who want to get in, the lines are filling up 800-848-WABC, and we go out with a little Joe Jackson. The left versus the right in the right corner. It's heavyweight king Curtis Lewa in the left corner. It's Anthony Weiner. It's a 77 WABC debate. Heavyweight slugfest. Well, welcome back. I'm Anthony Weiner from the left, Curtis Lewa from the right, coming up at the top of the hour. 
Curtis will be doing his own 100-day report card on Eric Adams, and I'll be telling him where he's wrong. And we're also going to see what we can do to help Donald Trump with his Truth app, which seems to be having some some troubles. As you know, if you have trouble with your social media, you definitely want to turn to Anthony Weiner. 800-848-WABC, 800-848-9222. The board uh, has some calls on it. Let's take a couple of them. Let's go from Jim to from Glen Cove about the laptop from hell. Sorry to keep you on hold so long, Jim. Thanks for sticking with us. Oh, hi, Anthony. Hey, Jim. Anyway... On tape, on film, on January 23rd, 2018, there was a Council of Foreign Relations discussion with Joe Biden. He stated, When he was the VP, he stated that he would hold up $1 billion in loan guarantee for the Ukraine unless the prosecutor who investigated Burisma, who Hunter Biden worked for, was fired. Quote, I'm leaving in six hours. If the prosecutor's not fired, you're not getting the money. Well, son of a bitch, he got fired. Right. And do you know what the prosecutor, why they wanted him fired is because he was not doing enough to investigate companies like Burisma. If anything, Joe Biden, and by the way, this he was joined by the U.K., he was joined by other countries. It was the policy of our country. He said it right out loud. If you think that, that, um, uh, that Hunter Biden was uh, having some kind of undue influence over Joe Biden, and thank you very much for the call, Jim, then what Joe Biden was saying was you've got to do more to crack down on corruption, and Burisma was was not doing enough. The guy that was in there, the prosecutor they were trying to get rid of, was a a pro-Russian guy that was in the way. It was not helping Hunter Biden. If anything, it was bad for Hunter Biden. Next, we have Chris in the Catskills calling about redistricting. Thanks for holding on for you. Yeah, you know, with with New York State, the demographics, as soon as you get more north, central, and west um, of, say, Ulster County, Columbia County, those are your two pockets of more Democratic enrollment. All the other counties are more Republican enrollment, unless you have medium to large cities or college town cities like Ithaca or Binghamton. So it's very hard to, you know, gerrymander or protect correctly pronunciated gerrymander these districts uh, without taking that into account, you know? That's exactly right. It's it's the obvious, you know? Funny, I know John Faso. Uh, Last time I saw him was almost three years ago, the end of May. I had the center cut in a ribbon cutting at the town farmer's market. I had been an elected official trying to get back in, and it was the year he lost. I'm a Democrat. I didn't realize, but uh, people didn't want to stand around him at the time, and then I came back. I was talking to him about health care, about the hospital problems. Uh, the hospital in Hudson, New York, and the one in Kingston, New York, don't have uh, good ratings and reputations, and there's funding issues with uh, Medicaid reimbursements. And a, a voter had come up to him and started, like, really yelling at him. And she said, I know you. You give him health care. We were having a substantive conversation. But, um, you know, he broke that down, uh, you know, quite well. Obviously, he was one of the two attorneys that handled the case. Yeah, well, thank you, Chris. Look, you're exactly right. At at a certain point, the rubber hits the road. The people are where the people are, and their partisanship is what their partisanship is. A lot of this is a downstate phenomenon because you can do things like connect Staten Island to Park Slope and make a Republican district into a Democratic one. But when we come back, Curtis Sliwa will be telling me where I'm wrong, and I'll be telling him where he's wrong, but... Frankly, we might be agreeing because today the Yankees and Mets are both undefeated.